Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, been wanting to talk to her for a little while. Finally got it done. She's busy. We had to get her on the schedule. Uh, Quinn Townsend is another of our great young voices contributors. She has a master's in resource management economics from West Virginia University. Might have heard I'm a little fond of them subtly. Uh, she's also a policy manager at the Alaska Policy Forum. She writes about taxes, education, health care, state budgets. Might ask her about all of them. We'll just have to see how it goes. Quinn, how are you, ma'am? Thanks for the time today. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, enjoy having you. Thank you so much for the time. You did some writing uh, in Real Clear Energy, and we've been talking about this on and off, but you wanted to talk about the tax credits with EVs, electric vehicles. Let's start with some nomenclature because this gets confusing really quick for folks because it's become a buzzword. Like just say, like just the abbreviation, you put EV on your Twitter account, people will uh, pounce and gather and start debating it, whether regardless of what you put after EV, they'll just jump all over. Um, I've got a couple on my Twitter feed. Anytime I mention Tesla, all of a sudden they show up. You never hear them any other time, right? People key in on this stuff. What is an electric vehicle tax credit? Because we keep talking about it. Just define it for us. Make sure we're all on the same song sheet here. Sure. So an electric vehicle tax credit is a credit that you can, if you as an individual or, you know, part of your family, you as a family um, purchase an electric vehicle, when you do your taxes for that year, um, you put that as like a it's similar to a tax write-off. So it's part of your taxes and then you will get that credit when you get your tax return, typically. Um, it's easiest to just think of it as an amount that you get off of the final price of your car. Yeah, and this becomes an issue because anytime you have a credit or a subsidy or whatever terminology you wanna use, that's going to influence behavior of the consumer. It's designed to be that way What's the practical application of that when we start talking about things like uh, electric vehicles, though? Is it actually working to influence behavior or is it just moving money around? Um, the short answer is it's just moving money around. So the intent of these EV tax credits um, is to influence, is to help, I'm putting that in quotes, air quotes, um, is to help Americans um, buy electric vehicles that they would not otherwise be able to afford. Um, but this tax credit is supposed to help them afford, you know, an electric vehicle. Um, so that's the intention of a, of a tax credit policy. However, it also influences um, manufacturers. So I just saw in the news this 
a few days ago that Ford and GM both just happenstance, you know, circumstantially increased the cost of their um, EV, so their electric vehicles, um, by between $6,000 and $8,000, which is right around the amount of the tax credit that just that was just passed. Um, so that's coincidental. The reason that becomes like that is we see it in other areas as well, not just manufacturing of cars and stuff. We see it in education. We see it in grant writing in, in the academic field. We see it in science with academics. We just went through this with the COVID stuff. Anytime there's a source of government money, people are going to flock to try to get in line for that government money. The problem is when you have, you know, not emergent because we've had electric vehicles for over 100 years, but the current itineration of electric vehicles, this is an evolving technology. So when you start incentivizing it a certain way, that's going to affect how these manufacturers address it, isn't it? Yes. And that's um, that was my main part of my criticism in the article that I wrote about these tax credits is that um, there's lots of the government has put on stipulations uh, for these tax credits. So the electric vehicle that you were that you want to buy has to be um, under a certain price. Um, and manufacturers, companies that are selling these vehicles have to um, hit all of these targets for where they're getting the minerals to build the battery and um, then where they manufacture the car itself. And especially for newer companies, which there are a lot in this EV space, um, that's really hard to do because so much of the supply chain is um, not in North America which is what the requirement are for. And that gets into something that you touched on the piece, Quinn Townsend joining us. The problem with the EVs and the thing that's limiting the technology and then the thing that gets into the manufacturing that you're going to talk about here in the piece is the battery technology. And EV mm -hmm. cars only as good as the battery because that's what makes this thing go. And the problem with the batteries, besides the battery life and the range and all that, that's getting it's getting better. I mean, it's getting closer to what a normal gas car would have, that 300 kind of mile range that most cars would have with a tank of gas. They're getting there, but they need all these rare earth minerals to do that. And the problem with that is we don't have hardly any control whatsoever over those rare earth minerals, do we? Right. So China specifically owns the lion's share of companies that extract and then um, like put together and process the critical minerals that are needed for these batteries. Um, and so these tax credits, one of the stipulations is that manufacturers must um, get their rare earth minerals from, from either the United States here in the United States or a um, country with which we have a free trade agreement. But it's really, it's easiest to just think about it as a made in America requirement. Uh, and that's really difficult to do because it's extremely difficult to get a mine approved in the US, um, particularly under the Biden administration the last few years. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, I didn't know this one. I love reading stuff that I learned something in. But at the same time the Biden administration was doing this with one hand, on the other hand, one of the few rare places where we might be able to get these rare earth minerals mined, they were kind of shutting them down regulatory-wise. Talk about that for a minute, because it seems almost backwards policy, but it sounds so much like the government that at the same time they're doing that, they were also using regulatory reform to kill the Ambler Mining District up in Alaska. Mm -hmm. So really, this is a problem of a government created problem. And so the government's solution is to use more government to fix the problem that they created in the first place, which means it's the solution isn't working. Um, so back in April, President Biden used the DPA, the Defense Protection Act, to um, to encourage the extraction and processing of critical minerals, specifically in the U.S. But at the same time, um, the Biden administration has also been um, throwing up lots of red tape to stop the creation and the continued use of mines in the in the U.S., including the Ambler Access Mine in Alaska. Yeah, Quinn Townsend joining us now. We we've also been critical of the DPA usage here on our program for a couple different things. You could kind of make the argument, though. I, I mean, I can see it on paper like China's an adversary. You know, they're not friends. They have also got, you know, the horrendous human rights stuff. They're imperialistic. They're expanding. We need to get a hold of this. OK, fine. But as you detailed in the piece, we have the ability to do some of this. Um, there's a polymet copper and nickel mine in Minnesota, lithium in Nevada copper in Arizona, copper and gold in Alaska, of course, which, you know, <laughs> gold in Alaska, tell me if you've ever heard that one before. We do. But the thing is, with the current regulatory environment and with the environmental and not that mining doesn't need strict environmental guidelines, it does. We're, we're both West Virginians. We know better than anybody what happens when you don't regulate those things. In the current environment, people aren't even going to start looking for those kind of minerals or even start that process unless they have a consistent and coherent policy. So when you're piecemealing it, and doing this, go on one hand, stop on the other hand, that's really going to kill innovation in trying to find this domestically, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Quinn Townsend joining us. Um, one other thing that I noticed in your piece and I wanted to ask you about, uh, when we came back to this made in America concept, we've seen this in other areas. It doesn't usually work out very well. Uh, made in America didn't work out good for steel. Made in America hasn't worked out really good for car manufacturers. When we look at this big picture, how would we healthily look at something like EV production domestically? Because, you know, the technology is going that way. I don't think it's there yet. I think it's going to get there. We mm -hmm. obviously want to make it here in America. We know what happened, you know, in the 80s and 90s with car production going overseas or outside of our borders. What would that look like policy-wise to try to healthily do it, not just sticking their thumb on the scales for the government to promote something like that? Yeah, I think broadly speaking, the solution is for policymakers to just to step out of the way. And um, there's so many innovators and entrepreneurs in the United States that know way more about electrical vehicles than me or any politician. Um, 
And generally speaking, most people understand that things like mining need to be happen ethically and um, in an environmentally safe way. So there do obviously need to be environmental guardrails around something like a private approving a new mine. Um, but the regulatory process takes years. I mentioned in my article, um, one mine specifically uh, in the Midwest, I believe, it has been under approval or has been under the process of being approved for over 10 years, which is an incredibly, a whole decade is a really long time for a business to be twiddling their thumbs waiting for a project to be approved. Um, so it really comes down to streamlining the streamlining the permitting process um, is one thing that would that would really help in terms of mining for EVs. And these rare earth minerals are also critical for things like our cell phones and solar panels and all of these other technologies that that we are using and we're not we're not going to be letting go of our cell phones anytime soon. So these critical minerals are are critical. That's a good thing for them. Yeah. And the thing about them being critical is there's probably stuff that we can make out of this stuff that we don't even know about yet. If mm -hmm. we could get a hold of the manufacturing process. Uh, Quinn Townsend joining us. Great information on this. The piece is up at Real Clear Energy. We're going to link to it. Like we always tell you, read the whole piece in its entirety. She's got some other stuff linked within that as well. Read it for yourself and decide. Uh, Quinn, great information on this. Really appreciate it. Where can folks find you and follow you? And what do you have going on until we talk to you again on Hertel? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Quinn underscore Townsend, number one, the numeral one. Um, I'm not super active on Twitter, but that's where you can find me. Yep. And she's up at her Young Voices page. We'll link to that as well. And the policy work she's doing, uh, doing some local writing in West Virginia. We'll talk about that with her some other time. Quinn, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yes, ma'am. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com.